We left off at verse 17, right in the middle of a story at a bit of a crisis moment for sure. So let me pick up the reading at verse 18 and then all the way down through the end of this chapter. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother... If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, one left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you'll bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I came as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with, sh- with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. O Lord our God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You determined to save a people for Yourself to Your glory and praise, and that Jesus set His face for Jerusalem, that He bore the evil that was destined for us as our substitute, taking the wrath of God upon Himself as His body bled upon that cross and His body was was tortured with pain from the nails and from the gravity and from all the pain that is associated with crucifixion, pain unknown to any one of us. And yet, even more so, He bore our sin. And you, O Father, turned your face away from Him. And He cried out saying, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? All this for us, for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross for the joy of reconciling us and making us your beloved sons and daughters 
reunited as family together as one people. How deeply grateful are we, O God. Give us that joy of of such love and sharing that love with one another and indeed with even our enemies, with those who have sinned against us and around the world because such love is unknown except in Your love, O God. There is no other love that the world has ever seen greater than that or love that even comes close. And it is, abides in our hearts in Christ, and we pray in His name. Amen. Well, you know, of course, that life can often be difficult, trying, and tough. In particular, relationships are tough. We are always engaged with other people in, many, in every sphere of life. And they can be difficult and tough because we are frankly, broken, messed up people relating to other broken, messed up people, right? And so consequently, problems are commonplace, divisions are not infrequent, anger, frustration, bitterness often abides between people. And Jacob's family illustrated that so very clearly. Jacob himself was part of the problem. We've said this many times, he brought division into his own family by his long-term favor of his wife Rachel and her two sons over against all the others. And after Joseph was lost, Jacob's heart was consumed by fear. And he would protect his son Benjamin at almost any cost, even at the cost of his other sons, thereby exacerbating the family's problems. And as a young man, Joseph had fully bought into his father's favoritism, becoming a snob, becoming arrogant and self-righteous, constantly reminding his brothers of who was loved the most, rubbing their father's favoritism in the brothers' faces. And the other sons of Jacob had responded predictably with jealousy and hatred. The relationship between them and Joseph deteriorating so much to the point where the brothers actually considered murdering their own brother Joseph, and yet only compromised by selling him into slavery that they might be rid of him forever, they thought. A dysfunctional family, for sure. And yet, you know, God had made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac, a promise that he also confirmed to Jacob, a promise to make his name great and to make of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a great nation that would be a blessing to all nations. Well, how could that be? How could God fulfill that promise when this family was such a mess, dysfunctional, broken, hating one another, Divided. Well, because God Himself will bring together in unity and love what was so desperately broken by sin. God Himself, the great physician, will bind up the wounds and heal the sick, essentially bringing back to life that which was seemingly 
dead and hopeless. Joseph will say to his brothers in chapter 45, God sent me. See, the brothers sent him, right? The brothers cast him off. But he would say, God actually is the one who sent me before you. Why? To preserve life. To preserve a remnant on earth. God would say many years later through Jeremiah, words that perhaps he could have said, didn't, but could have said at this point, words you know. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Israel, the family of Jacob, will in fact live to be the people of God. In chapter 46, God will once again assure Jacob. God will once again speak to Israel and he will promise again, I will make of you a great nation. God has not, had not, and will not forget his promise. Well, for all these weeks, all these chapters so far, We've been focusing mainly on Joseph as the story's been told about this young man, or at least at one time, still a young man here, actually only in his 30s, maybe late 30s. He had been in Egypt for the past 22 years, having been the victim of his brother's hatred. And now those very brothers were standing before him. Rarely has anyone such an incredible opportunity to pay back someone who had done evil against him. Rarely is there such an opportunity for revenge as Joseph had at that moment. He could have, with just his word, utterly destroyed these brothers who had all but destroyed his life at one point. And yet Joseph was a changed man with a humble, patient character now formed through suffering. And instead of punishment, he was actually seeking his brother's, uh, his family's reunion and reconciliation and the restoration of, of peace or shalom. Though the sons of Jacob didn't yet know that this was their brother, and they didn't actually know at this time yet that he was pursuing peace with them. Well, the question still remains in a text. We know the answer. But as we're reading this text, the question remains, will the brothers seek peace? Will they humble themselves before Joseph? When his brothers first came to Egypt to purchase food, and perhaps Joseph was surprised by their presence there, maybe not because he knew his dreams, but Joseph came up with a brilliant plan to force his brothers to remember the terrible sin that they had once committed against him and against their own father, actually. That peace might be restored through reconciliation. And Joseph's brilliant plan was to recreate or to create a circumstance that was sort of recreate that past crime, that past betrayal. Benjamin, you remember, and it was his sack, and it was the one in which Joseph's cup was found. Benjamin would be punished alone by remaining in Egypt as a slave for the rest of all of his days 
and the, son, the other sons of Jacob, the brothers, would go back home and they would go back to freedom for the rest of their days. And so the question is, would these brothers again sacrifice one son of Rachel that they might go free, that they might be comfortable and at peace? Now remember back in chapter 43, Judah had stepped up and he had promised his father that he would in fact bring Benjamin home safely. He pledged his own life for Benjamin's. He said this, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Well, the text this morning that I read for you and you're hearing a few moments ago, that consists of basically Judah's words to this ruler. Judah's pleading with this Lord to spare Benjamin's life, that he would give up his own life. He would fulfill his pledge to his father. He would offer his life for the life of his brother. Judah, remember, way back, Judah was the one who came up with this idea of selling Joseph into slavery. And now he was offering himself as a slave in Egypt for the life of Benjamin, that he might secure the family's peace. See, Joseph chose peace for his family by refusing anger and revenge. Judah chose peace for his family by refusing self-protection. Both men, both sides, if you will, chose self-sacrifice in order to secure peace for the family. And because of Judah's offer to be punished for a crime he didn't actually commit, the brothers were not actually guilty of that particular crime which they were accused of. Because Judah offered to be punished for that crime, the entire family would be forgiven of a crime they actually did commit against Joseph many years before. So for that reason, I'm calling this message the gospel according to Judah. Because it was Judah's self-sacrificing action, this being a pledge for his brother, it points so beautifully to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only innocent one, the only sinless one, the only one who never committed any crime, who never committed any transgression. And yet he, the innocent one, bore the guilt that we might be forgiven and restored. I think you'll agree with me that perhaps one of the most beautiful texts regarding that substitutionary atonement is actually in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53. I'll give, read just a, three verses. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Paul speaks of that beautifully, actually, in 2 Corinthians, a text you also know well, I have no doubt. For our sake, He made Him, who is Jesus, for our sake, He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, for peace to be restored between these two divided parties, us and God, Jesus stepped in and pledged Himself as a sacrifice that we might be forgiven and go free, that peace would be restored. You remember that at one time long ago, God said to Abraham, Abraham, get up, take your son Isaac and go to the mount. And God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, and, and Abraham's hand was held up. His son was laid out in submission. And then God said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, no, I myself will provide the sacrifice. Don't sacrifice your son. I am going to sacrifice my son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it said, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. That very mount called Moriah back then is Mount Zion, where Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. God provided for our reunion and our peace. See, dear ones, we are Jacob's family. We are the broken dysfunctional, messed up people. Others sin against us, no doubt, sometimes bringing serious harm to us, perhaps. But we also sin against others. We are all messed up people. And Jacob's family could never find peace until they first admitted, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Referring to their real guilt. God has discovered that we are desperate sinners. And so neither can any of us be healed of the disease which ruins our relationships. And brings such dysfunction into our own communities until we acknowledge our messed upness, if you will. And we begin to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus. One expositor described our desperate condition profoundly in these words I share with you. I trust you understand this is true. Our jealousy has led us to murder, other in our, murder others in our thoughts and in our words through malicious gossip and explosive anger. Our lust has bought and sold our sisters and brothers in our minds, using them to satisfy our fantasies. Our shalom is deeply broken, our relationships are fractured, and our souls are tortured by the deep-rooted guilt that will not let us go, a scarlet stain that never disappears from our consciousness, no matter how hard we scrub. The only healing, the only peace is Jesus, the peacemaker. He suffered for sins he didn't commit, that we could be forgiven of sins we did 
commit. And he promised his father that he would secure our peace. And he fulfilled that pledge at Calvary. You know, his brothers, I said, his brothers didn't know at that time that he was pursuing peace with them. And when Jesus went to the cross, not even did his disciples understood that that cross was the pursuit of peace and reconciliation, God and sinners, to be reunited. But now we can have that peace and we can extend it to others. No longer, dear ones, is brokenness the final word. Think about it this way. How could Joseph forgive his brothers when he had been hurt so deeply for so long? 20, if you do the math, it's about 22 years at this point, from age 17 to, say, age 39. That's a lot of life. Because Joseph came to understand that God was using his pain and his loss for his family's healing and for his family's good, for his family's life. I said that to you already. If you look ahead in chapter 45, verse 5, I said this already. God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me for our family's good. See, if you are only self-concerned you can never be a peacemaker. And you'll only know in your relationships frustration and brokenness and disut- disunity. And we need to stop pretending that we're innocent. Stop pretending that we're better than the other people. We're not. They're sinners and we're sinners. We're all a big mess. Give up your pride and your self-righteousness. We are all desperate sinners. And as God has forgiven you, so forgive others. This is what Joseph did. Joseph came to know that his messed upness was forgiven. That he was restored to God. And God was working beautifully through him. And so he could forgive his brothers. In John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's the other side of the coin. That's what Judah did. Judah was was laying down his life for the good of others. Remember, only Benjamin was going to be punished. Benjamin, the son of Rachel, that other part of the family, the one they hated, And so Judah knew he needed to act now. They were about out of time. The crisis was right before him. Benjamin was about to be dragged off to prison. And they would never, ever see him again. So this called for immediate action. Because not only was Benjamin's freedom on the line, so was Jacob's life. He made it clear in his little speech here. If I don't don't bring Benjamin home and I show up to my father's before my father, without Benjamin, he will die. And so Judah stepped forward, offering his life as a substitute. 
And so we who know Christ, we who have been reunited with God only because of Christ, solus Christus, Christ alone, not by works, but only by grace, we must be people also of self-denying action, concerned about others, because someone else's good might depend upon you acting, right? Like the stories we've heard of, of someone drowning and someone else jumping in recklessly, it seems, risking their own lives to save that person who's moments away from death through drowning, perhaps in the frigid rivers of a river or someplace else. Keep in mind that Judah had previously failed grievously to protect people he professed to love. He, he failed grievously to protect his daughter-in-law. Remember Tamar, the wife of Judah's son. She became a widow. And Judah promised, I will give you my son Shelah. So you will again have a husband. You will again have someone to care for you and protect you. But then Shelah grew up. And the promise was forgotten. And Tamar remained a widow. And that led to Tamar's terrible plot and to Judah's sin. And then Judah had failed to protect Joseph from his brothers. Yes, he saved him from being murdered, but he didn't stand in righteousness against his brother's evil plot. He said, let's just get rid of him this way by making him a slave. But Judah was now a man changed by the Lord. He wasn't the same man he was 22 years ago. Maybe not even the same man he was six months ago. He wasn't dwelling on his past failure as though that dictated who he must be for the rest of his days. As though his life could only be failure because that's what he knew in the past. See, a messed up person can become a peacemaker, a reuniter, a shalom restorer by the grace of God. The past does not necessarily write the script for the future. Why? Because God changes people. Because God gives life. Because God forgives sins and enables us to forgive others. And Judah knew that this was his time to faithfully serve his family and his God because there was a crisis. And the crisis required immediate action. He didn't wait around for one of his brothers to say, you know, will, will one of them act? Will one of you guys do something? No, he offered himself as a pledge. He acted to protect his family, to secure his father's peace. He took personal responsibility for the life and safety of Benjamin. And it was that promise, that willingness to lay down his life, to sacrifice his life that led to the healing of his family and peace being restored. Years ago, I learned of a saying among Filipinos. My wife will remember this. And I think I got this right. It's something like, I will be the one. Let me be the one. And that's really what Judah said to his father. And that's what Judah was saying to this ruler. Let me be the one. I will be the one who will bear the punishment. Let these go free. Judah would not abandon Benjamin. 
he would give up his own freedom before he would allow Benjamin to lose his. You know, again, we are all broken, messed up people. And so, yeah, you can choose to remain in dysfunctional, broken relationships. Always being frustrated. Always being in fights. And I don't care if it's your marriage or your family or your friends or this church or whether it's your workplace or your neighborhood. There's people everywhere. And you can choose to remain in broken down, dysfunctional relationships by being only self-concerned. Or you can choose to give up your self-righteous pride. The illusion that you're better than other people when you're not. And you can give up your desire to return evil for evil and instead pursue peace through self-sacrificing love. There are some church signs that I see occasionally that try to express this truth. And it almost needs to be in print. But it says, no Jesus, no peace. N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. Then it says, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus, K-N-O-W, peace. It's quite simplistic. It speaks the truth. But like many church signs, it tries to be a little bit too clever and cute, at least for my taste. Yes, to have peace, you must know Christ and you must know His love. But it goes beyond that because you must then imitate Christ's love for others. First John 3.16. You know John 3.16. Memorize 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. How? That He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In every relationship you're in, each one of us must seek to contribute to the peace and the well-being of the others. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who has offended you. You also are a sinner. And because you are loved by God, not because of yourself, but because of another, so you are to love others because of the one who loved you. Or maybe you've offended others. We've all offended others at times. Don't let guilt overwhelm you. Don't think you can't be forgiven. The past doesn't dictate the future. Brokenness is not the final word. As I said, Judah failed previously. Judah failed terribly, grossly. But by the grace of God, he became a new man. A man who didn't let the past paralyze him in the future or the present actually see God gave him another chance to pursue peace and this time his simple offer though deeply profound brought an end to the decades long history of angerness anger and bitterness and division and instead brought unity and harmony and love into the family relationships and this man, think about this man again, who once sought out a prostitute who turned out to be his daughter-in-law, became the one through whom 
God would bring into the world the Prince of Peace, even Jesus, even the Christ. At the end of Psalm 78, the psalmist declared, if you didn't know this, you'd be shocked by this, he rejected the tent of Joseph, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And you know that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. So interestingly, Judah may have bowed down before Joseph on that day, but from Judah came kings, David, the great king, much more importantly, Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Judah, the peacemaker, became the father of the prince of peace, and he is the one who said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Will you seek that peace and will you offer that peace to others? John said, we love because he first loved us. We can love because we know his love. His love received so impacts us, so changes us that we become lovers of others. And so John also wrote, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. So as one who knows peace, as one who has received the love of God without anything being of you, without being caused by you, but only by his grace, so love others, and so be a peacemaker in all of your relationships to the glory and praise of God. Oh, Lord God, our Father, our Lord, our King, we are your servants with glad hearts. We are bond slaves of Christ, and yet it is the greatest freedom we have the freedom of being the children of God. We have been loved with a love that surpasses any understanding. We have a privilege which we don't yet know in Christ, none of which we deserve. We deserve the absolute opposite. So thank you, Lord God, that you, you've given us this great joy and this love and that you've changed our hearts. You, take, you took away the heart of stone the heart of uh, bondage and give it to us a heart of flesh, a heart of love, a heart of seeking peace. And so having received peace, let us indeed go in peace and be peacemakers as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.